It's good. I thought it was. Anyways, uh, it ought to be different, right, as a result of salvation. It ought to be different now. So I appreciate the truth of that song. Turn, if you would, this morning to John chapter 15. John chapter 15 is where we're going to be. We're going to be there for a little bit, and then we're going to be at another portion of Scripture, and then we're going to come back to John chapter 15. All right, so we're going to do a little bit of bouncing around, but I think it'll be easy enough to follow and to comprehend. All right? All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are thankful for all that you do for us. We're thankful, Lord, for your goodness to us. Lord, I am thankful that as a result of our salvation, things are different now, not just for eternity, but it should be different for our daily lives. It ought to be different in every area of our lives, and so we thank you for that. God, I pray that you'd bless the effort to preach your word. I pray that you'd use it to speak to our hearts today. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, I just want to remind us very quickly what we looked at and what we gave our attention to because it is a very helpful truth if we remember this. But last week, as we continued our study of who is God, we gave attention to this truth that God is enough. God is enough. And all that means is this, is that God is everything we need him to be in any area of our lives. And while we know that and while we say that we believe that, the struggle so many times that we have is this, is acting upon what we say that we believe. And so many times what it, looks like, what it looks like is this, is that we believe God is enough, but we need something else or we want something else. And we think that if we have God plus, then that'll satisfy us. And nothing outside of God ever satisfies an individual long term. And so whenever you and I are struggling, whenever you and I are doubting, we've got to remember that the burden is upon us to act upon what we say that we believe. God is enough for every circumstance, for every situation of life. So that in mind, this morning as we continue on, I'd like to begin the message today by asking you if this is true. I would assume that it's been true of all of us, but I want to ask you to think about this question and just answer it in your mind. But how many of us today would say something to this effect, that over the course of our lives, we have come into contact with people and we have met people who make us want to be better people. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Have you ever known someone like that? That as a result of getting to know them, as a result of getting to be around them and spend time with them, just being with them makes you want to be a better person. I hope that every one of us could say that we know what that's like, that we've experienced that, and it's true in all areas of our lives, is it not? Sometimes you get around certain people and they say, or they, the, the, the way that they live, it, it just makes you want to be a better husband or a better wife. Maybe you're around some other person and the way that they interact with their children makes you want to be a better parent. It may be that you work with people and the way that they approach their job and the way that they approach their responsibilities, their duties, it just makes you want to approach your job with a better attitude and, a, and just a, a better mentality toward what it is you are doing. Every one of us, I hope, have known people who challenge us to be better people. And here's the amazing thing about so many of those people who challenge us, is that they do it without ever saying a word. It's how they live, it's how they handle themselves, it's how they approach their own personal lives. Just their testimony alone 
is what challenges us to be better men and women in whatever area of life you might want to consider, whatever you'd like to think about. And so with that in mind this morning, I want us to be in John chapter 15. If you've not yet found your place there, go ahead and find it. John chapter 15. We're going to jump into kind of the middle of a story, uh, some verses and some thoughts that have already been established. We're going to jump in the middle of those and just want to give us some very quick background as to what's already been said and what's already been declared by Christ. First of all, keep this in mind that Christ is speaking to his disciples. Those who would be students, those who would be pupils of him, of his, those who are trying to learn of him, all right? So John chapter 15 revolves around Christ dealing with his disciples. In the first few verses, here's what we find. If you took the time to read those verses, you would find that Christ was talking about some of what will be true as a result of a disciple being a true disciple of Christ. He said that if you abide in him, then you are going to bear fruit in your spiritual lives. You and I, nor anyone else, can we suggest that we are abiding in Christ, yet not bringing forth spiritual fruit in our lives. If you and I are abiding in Christ, if you and I are walking with God, living for him in the way that we ought, then there will be, not maybe, not ought to be or should be, but there will be fruit, spiritual fruit, that is obvious as a result of our relationship with him. When you see someone who is not walking with God as they ought, it will be obvious because spiritual fruit will not come forth from them like it ought to be. And when a person is walking with God in a way that is right, in a way that is appropriate, you'll know it just by what is coming forth and coming out of that person's life. So he's talking about abiding in Christ, abiding in God, who is the true vine, and the fruit that it will produce. But then, in verse number 9, the subject shifts a little bit, and it begins to deal with the subject of love. So in verse number 9, he says, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. So Christ says to the disciples that in the same manner in which his Father God had loved him, that he has in turn shown them that same love, And in verse number 9, he says that he wanted them, the disciples, to continue or to maintain that representation of love. In verse number 12, he said this, This is my commandment, that ye love one another, even as I have loved you. So he is talking about, in the first eight verses, spiritual fruit that will be evident in the life of a person who is walking with God and living for God in the way that they ought. And then he transitions into the subject of love and loving one another. And friends, that will be one of the manifestations of walking with God in the way that you should, is if you love people like you ought. It's not always easy sometimes, is it, to love people like you know that you should? It's difficult at times, and yet that is the commandment that God gave not only 2,000 years ago to his disciples, but you and I are still under that same obligation and that same responsibility to love one another as we have been loved. So in verse number 13, continuing on this theme of love, 
Christ said to his disciples, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. So obviously in verse number 13, here is what we see, is that Christ introduced or brought up the subject to his disciples, that of friendship. Friendship. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his own life or his life for his friends. So whenever you think about this word friend, what does it mean? If you were to just think about that word in your mind, if you were to think about it from your perspective, the context in which you view things, what do you consider a friend to be? Well, it may look different or it may sound different from your perspective than from another person's perspective, but here is the basic idea of what a friend is. A friend is one that you have a closeness with and one that you have an affection for. You understand this, right? That this is what a friend is. It is one where there is a closeness between the two individuals and there is an affection between those two people where that closeness is found. So here is Christ speaking of friendship and it's where a closeness is found, where there is an association and an affection for one another. It is a vast, vast difference between an acquaintance or someone you met somewhere along the way. There is a depth to true friendship. It's not shallow, it's not casual, it's not something that that is, you know, flaky at best. There is substance to true friendship. Now, as you think about friendship and what friendship truly looks like, that there is substance and there is depth with this one that you are close to and have an affection for, if we are honest this morning, I think every one of us would admit this, that we are more prone to do things for our friends than we would be for those that we would not identify as friends. Would you agree? All I mean by that is this is if you knew a buddy or a friend had a project that they were working on, you would be apt to volunteer to help them in that project, correct? At the same time, if you happened to be at the lumber yard and someone was buying the equipment to start a project or to continue a project, if you did not know them, you most likely would not step up and ask them if you could go to their house and help them with their project, right? You understand the difference between a friend and an acquaintance. A friend, you would step up and you would do something for them and you would help them out. Whereas someone that you just met or just saw randomly, you wouldn't have the same drive to do something for them. A true friend, you might try to help them out financially if they were in a bind. Whereas someone that you didn't know, you're much less likely to just open up your wallet and give a complete stranger money that you've worked to acquire, right? You understand this? I want us to see this. There is a difference between true friendship and just a casual acquaintance or casual awareness of. So as that is the case, here is what Christ said in verse number 13 in relation to friends. That greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. So as Christ is speaking to his disciples on the subject of love in relation to friendship, 
He said this would be the greatest manifestation of a person's love for a friend. That they would be willing to lay down their life for that friend. It might be very polite and it may be very kind of us to volunteer to help a friend out with a project, but that kind of pales in comparison, does it not, of one who would be willing to die for that friend? Obviously, there's not much of a comparison between the two actions or approaches to expressing the friendship. It is very kind and it is very thoughtful of a person to open up their wallet and to help someone out financially who they consider themselves to be a friend to. Yet that does not begin to compare to the idea of laying down one's life for that friend. So here is Christ and he's making a statement that's simple and easy to understand is that there would be no greater manifestation of one's love for someone else than to lay down his life for that friend. As you think about that, I don't know if you'd say this is true of you, but I would say it to be true of me. I don't know that I've got very many friends who are that good of friends. They like me and all, and they might help me build a project. They might help me around the house. They may loan me some money. But if push came to shove and I said, hey, I need you to die for me, I think there's a real good chance they'd look at me and say, brother, I love you. I really do. But I'm busy that day. I'm just not ready to step up and take your place in death. Because that goes against who we are as individuals, right? So understand, please, I don't fault you if you would not step up and be willing to die for me. Because if I'm just being honest with you, guess what? I'd probably be busy the day I needed to step in for you. Hey, listen, I'm... I'm sorry, truly, I am. I want you to know it's been a great run. I've enjoyed getting to know you. I've enjoyed getting to know your family. But I tell you what, I'll see you on the other side. That would most likely be my approach. We understand that human nature does not cause us to rush into this position where we would be willing to lay down our lives for a friend But Christ said that there is no greater manifestation of one's love than their willingness to die for a friend. So that in mind, turn over to a familiar portion of Scripture there in the book of Romans. Turn to Romans chapter 5 this morning. In Romans chapter 5, verse number 6, we have the Apostle Paul writing to a group of believers in Rome. And he says in verse number 7, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. So when Paul makes that declaration in verse number 7, of the character of men, the nature of men, the personality of men. As he makes that statement, here is what he basically declares. He said, it is a rare thing that a person would be willing to die for a righteous person, an upright person. And he said, peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. So Paul is not saying it would never happen. But you know what he was saying? He was saying this, it's not something you see every day.
This is not how normal men and women function and how they operate. This isn't what they do. It might happen for a righteous person. It may happen for a good person. It may happen occasionally, but you don't see this happen all the time. But in verse number 8, he said this, But God commendeth his love, or God showed his love toward us. He manifested that love toward us in that while we were yet sinners... Christ, who is God, died for us. Now see, in verse number 8, here is what Paul identified himself and his audience as. He identified them as sinners. And if he were speaking to you and I today, you know what he would identify us as? He would identify us as sinners. What does that mean? It means this. We are fallen men and women. We are men and women who are contaminated in our nature. You and I, we are not righteous individuals. Somebody may say, well, I'm a good person. You might be a good person, but you're not a righteous person. Someone may say, well, I'm a very benevolent individual. You may be very benevolent. You may be giving. You may be thoughtful. You may be everything society tells you to be. But at the end of the day, guess what? Every one of us are still sinful men and women. We still have anger issues. We still have attitude issues. We still have selfishness. We still have all of these things that we battle every day and on many, many occasions we fail in these struggles are we hearing this we are sinners so here's what paul has said in verse number seven occasionally you might find that someone is willing to die for a righteous person or a good person but the implication is this You'll never find someone willing to die for a sorry person. Someone who is unrighteous, someone who is ungodly, someone who is unfit, people don't sign up to die for those types of people because why would you sacrifice your life for someone like that? And yet that's what every one of us are. We are among the ungodly. So in verse number 8, here is what Paul said. God commendeth, or God manifested, God made His love known to us. In that while we were yet sinners. You know what Christ did? He died for us. Christ died for us. Sinners. So if you were to take John chapter 15 and Romans chapter 5 and you were to set these verses beside each other, you know what you would see? You would see that Christ declared that there is no greater manifestation of one's love for someone else than a willingness to die for that person. And Paul says, I want to show you what Christ did for us. When we were sinners, when we were far from righteous, when we were ungodly, when we were lost in our sins, you know what Christ did? He died for us. So if death for someone else is the greatest manifestation of one's love for that friend, then what did God and Christ declare 
through his actions of dying for the sinners, for the lost man. He declared this, I will be and I am your greatest friend. You realize this? My willingness to die for you is the greatest manifestation I could give to show you how much I love and care about you and desire that relationship of a friend. That's what God and that's what Christ wanted to be to the lost sinner, to you and I. So you sit here this morning and you say, okay, well, that's fine. I mean, I hear what you're saying. What does that have to do with me? Well, I want us to think about this. You and I, if we are saved, what do we have? We have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, right? If we are saved, if we have humbled ourselves, if we have called upon Christ to save us, if that is what we have done, if we have placed our faith in Him, then we have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Which means this, God is my friend. Who is God? He is my friend. That may not be real exciting, but think about that for just a moment. You and I tend to be, more times than not, social creatures, do we not? We do. And so as a result of being social creatures, to some extent, what do we desire? We desire the relationship of other people in our lives. Now, obviously, there's nothing wrong with that. That's how God designed us, and that's how we've been wired as individuals. And yet sometimes, here's what we know, is sometimes those that we thought were our friends turned out to not really be as good of friends as we thought they were. The ones that we thought we were close to, we find out we weren't that close to them. The ones that we had the affection for, we find out they didn't really have the affection for us. And so there are times in life, at least for many of us, we come to this point and we come to this conclusion that we don't have the friends that we thought we had or they weren't as good of a friend as we thought they were. And yet in those moments, you know what a child of God gets to remind themselves of? I may not have any other friends in this world. The ones who I thought I could count on and the ones who I thought I could depend upon, those people that I thought were my friends, they're not there any longer. They're not with me or for me like they once were. But in those moments, you know what I get to be reminded of and what you can be reminded of? I still have the greatest friend I could ever have because I have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. How do I know he's the greatest friend I could ever have? Because whenever I was a sinner, he manifested his great love for me in his willingness to die for me. So I have the greatest friend to go through life with me that I could ever have because I don't have to wonder if he loves me enough to die for me. He has already shown me that he loved me enough to die for me. His love and his commitment and his friendship, his devotion to me, it is not in question because he has already proven to me how much he loves me and how much of a friend he values me to be. That is a wonderful, wonderful truth. 
Who is God? He is my friend. He is my friend. So we think about this, and maybe it brings some encouragement. Maybe it brings a sense of joy to us to know that truly we never go through this life alone. But you may say something like this. How can I use this in my daily life past that? Well, let me ask you. Could we afford to be better friends sometimes to other people in our lives? Well, of course we could. I'd like to consider myself a good friend to many people, but more times than not, or many times I should say, I'm not the friend that I know I ought to be. So there's an ability for me to look at this and say, okay, based upon the friend that God is to me, I could certainly use this as a help and a challenge to, to be a better friend to other people that God has brought into my life. But, but I want us to think about how I opened the message. And, and I said this, that sometimes we do come into contact with people, do we not? And they challenge us to be better people. Okay, think about that. Have we come into contact with God through Jesus Christ? Well, if we're saved, we have. So what should that challenge us to do? Well, it should challenge us to be a better friend. But of all the people that it should challenge us to be a better friend to, whom should it challenge us to be a better friend the most? So I have no idea what you just said. Okay, think about it. Knowing the friend that God is to us, if that challenges us to be a better friend, who should it challenge us to be a better friend to? It ought to challenge us to be a better friend to the one who is the greatest friend. It should drive me to be a better friend to God through Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but you may say, Brother Kyle, that sounds a little odd. That sounds a little weird because I'm not certain that God really needs friends. I understand he's not dependent upon us necessarily. And it does seem kind of weird to think about the God of the universe wanting to be our friends. But you know what? That's exactly what the scripture says he desires us to be, is not just him a friend to us, but us a friend to him. Where would we come up with such an idea? We'll go back to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse number 13, Christ said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Okay, if I'm going to be a friend of God, does that mean I then have to lay down my life for him? Well, I think there ought to be within us a desire to be willing to do that if it was required of us. You understand this? If we were ever put in a position where it was going to cost us our lives to die for Christ, it ought to at least be our desire to be willing to step up and do that. It's impossible for us to say we would because we don't know the circumstances and how we may struggle, but it should at least be a desire. Something else to consider is this, is not only should it be a desire, thankfully for many of us, it'll not be something we have to entertain. Most of us will get to go through life and will never be put in that position to have to decide, will I or will I not die for you? So in light of all that, notice what Christ said in verse number 14. He said this, ye are my friends if... 
Hey, listen, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Christ knew what he was going to be doing for the disciples in the days, weeks, months, years ahead. All right, Christ knew that. But he said, listen, here's how you can prove your friendship to me. If ye do whatsoever I command you. It's like Christ says this. I will manifest my friendship to you by dying for you. Here's how I would like you to manifest your friendship to me. Living in obedience to me. Now, we can sit here this morning and we can say, oh, yeah, I got that. Oh, yeah, I understand that. But friends, if we're honest about who we are as individuals, we know that that can be a challenge, can it not? You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. You are my friends if you do whatever I tell you to do. See, many times in our flesh, here's what we wrestle with. God, I'll do what you tell me to do so long as that's what I already wanted to do. God, I'll do what you tell me to do so long as it doesn't change what it is I'm already doing. God, I'll do what you tell me to do so long as it doesn't interrupt what our family's already got going on. God, I'll do what you tell me to do so long as I don't have to rearrange my life any. God, I'll do what you tell me to do so long as it's not ever going to make me stick out and look weird and, and inconvenience me. God, I'll do what you tell me to do so long as I get to tell you what it is I'm going to do. That's what obedience tends to look like more times than not in the life of a believer. But that is not what obedience is. Obedience is when we, when you and I, do whatsoever or whatever he tells us to do. So how can I prove my friendship to the one who has already proven his friendship to me? The only way that I can do it outside of dying for him is whenever I choose daily to live for him. And that may sound like a cliche, that may sound a little trite, that may sound a little too simple, but friends, it's what Christ declared. Your friendship will be proven to me when you do, when you accomplish, when you execute whatever command I tell you to do. So here's Christ, and the Scripture makes it very clear. He has already manifested to us the greatest love that could ever be made known to mankind. He went to the cross of Calvary a little over 2,000 years ago and died for us while we were yet sinners. In order for us to have that relationship, all we have to do is humble ourselves, be willing to call upon Christ, ask Him to save us, and that relationship is then established. And I would suspect that for most of us, we would call ourselves children of God. We would say we're saved, we've done that, we believe, we've trusted, we've repented, we've turned from our sin. We would say that we've done that, and that would be a wonderful testimony. So what I'd like to ask you and what I'd like to ask myself this morning is, is what kind of friend then are we to him? If friendship to God is determined by my obedience, then what kind of a friend am I to him?
If your friendship to God is determined by your obedience, what kind of a friend to God are you? If you're the one or if I'm the one who is making the rules and then calling it obedience and then trying to convince him we're great friends, please know and please understand he sees right through it. You and I don't get to determine the qualifications of friendship with God. Christ, who is God, said, this is how I know you're my friend, if you do what I tell you to do. I'm asking you, as I had to ask myself, I'm asking you, how obedient are we to his word in our lives. Because if the obedience is not present, the friendship doesn't really exist like it ought. His actions toward us ought to challenge us to be better people by way of a friend to him. It ought to challenge us to be more obedient to him than we've ever been. What kind of friend are we to the one who is the greatest of friends to us. Let's all stand this morning and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this morning. I am thankful that you are the greatest friend a person could have. You are that one who has already proven your love for us by dying for us, and for that I am thankful. And Lord, it would be so easy for us to sit here this morning and say, well, I'm his friend because I'm so obedient. And yet if we were honest, we may have to look at our lives and see where we're still rebellious here and we're still living our own way here and we're still doing what we want to do over here where we're not really yielding to you. And God, I pray that you'd help us today to, to see that that says much about our relationship with you. God, I pray that you'd help us to be a better friend to you. I pray that you'd help me to be a better friend by simply being obedient to what you've commanded me to do. That you'd help all of us to have that desire as well. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.